This summer marks 100 years since the First World War began, and you may think you've already heard quite a lot about it. In TV news reports, documentaries and special events to commemorate the world's first truly global conflict. Yet the contribution of one group has been largely overlooked, the Sikhs. Although they made up only 2% of the population of British India, Sikhs formed 20% of the British Indian Army. And 130,000 Sikh soldiers fought in the Great War in all major battlegrounds in Europe, the Middle East and East Africa. I'm Nella Fahidite, and in this edition of Things Unseen, I'll be hearing some of the extraordinary stories of those Sikh soldiers, freshly assembled from letters, diaries and audio recordings for an exhibition about to get underway right here in London. I'll be finding out why so many Sikhs would have wanted to fight in a war which was essentially not their own, and hearing what the memories of Sikh participation in the Great War means to young Sikhs today. With me to open up some of that fascinating history is Amandeep Singh Madra. He chairs the United Kingdom Punjab Heritage Association and he's led a group of volunteers who have unearthed some truly astonishing archive material. Amandeep, why did you feel it was important to highlight the Sikh contribution to World War One? The Sikhs played a particularly disproportionate role in the First World War and we wanted to commemorate that and give Sikhs around this country, and particularly young Sikhs who were learning about the war and perhaps felt a little disconnected from it, the sense that they were there too. And actually they were there, and they were there in very significant numbers and played a really important part in almost all theatres of battle. Now you've brought a few bits from the exhibition here with you today. I brought with me just uh, a few medals. Now these are campaign medals. So these are the sorts of things that every soldier that participated in the war would have been awarded at the end of war. So there's a victory medal, a British war medal, and a 1914-15 star. These would have been issued in the millions, literally in the millions, to the men across all of the Allied forces from the UK, from Europe, and of course from the Indian subcontinent. Some of these are relatively scarce, though, simply because... So if you take the victory medal, that's actually cast in silver... And as you can imagine, back in the subcontinent in the 1920s and 30s, this almost became currency. And there were groups of what they called pickers, medal pickers, that would go round the villages of the Punjab. And they would be buying these by the kilo and then melting them down. So some of these have become relatively scarce, but they are still around in number. Tell me a little bit about the distinctive, very large, almost saucer-sized medallion you've got there. Yeah, so this is a a five-inch bronze disc. On the front of it is an image of Britannia holding a wreath. Around the rim of it, it said, he died for freedom and honour. And then in the centre is actually the name of the man that it's uh, honouring, and that's Gunpath Singh. This is known as a memorial plaque. More commonly, it's known as a death plaque or a widow's penny, because actually this was what would be given to the families of the men who were killed during the war. Tell me a little bit about some of the more personal stories that you've come across in your research so far. Anything grab you and strike you? Probably one of the most exceptional, which I think will grab the attention of a lot of people, was that of the first Sikh flyer. So this was a young Sikh student who was studying in Oxford. So he's from a moneyed family at the outbreak of the war and was desperate to join his British friends 
to sign up. But of course, the young RAF at the time wouldn't have him because he was a coloured soldier. And to be in the RAF in those days, you needed to be commissioned. And that just wasn't on. So he left Britain and joined the French army, actually as an ambulance driver, much to the embarrassment of his tutors back in Oxford, who thought this was terrible, that one of their own had actually gone and joined the French. And so they very hurriedly rushed through almost sort of emergency rules to have him exceptionally commissioned. And he joined what was then known as the Royal Flying Corps. And unlike many of his colleagues, flyers, who had a life expectancy of weeks, he actually survived the war. He went on to become a diplomat in India afterwards, and and actually the Indian ambassador to France, as well as Canada. And amazingly, you also managed to find some audio recordings of Sikh prisoners of war, which are now nearly 100 years old. Tell us a little bit about those. Something like 2,000 Indians were captured by the Germans in the Western Front at the very early part of the First World War. And they were deposited in prisoners of war camps in Germany, one in particular just south of Berlin. There they were the source of a great deal of curiosity by the army, by prison guards, also by spies, by diplomats, and some German academics and ethnographers went to those camps, visited those camps to capture the voices, the languages, the dialects of uh, the different men that were captured there. And as an example of that, there's a recording we have now of 22-year-old Sundar Singh, and he's singing a Shabad, or spiritual song, from the Sikh holy book, the Guru Granth Sahib, as a prisoner of war in 1916. Amandeep, why is it that there were so many Sikhs in the British Indian Army? What is it within the Sikh faith that meant they readily took up arms on behalf of the British Empire? It's part of the very being of the Sikh to be a warrior. And that was very strongly expressed during the time of the Sikh gurus in the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries. And then when the British took the Punjab, it found a new expression in the Indian Army, originally the Army of the East India Company and then later the British Army. So there was a very strong tradition. But then coupled with that, after the 1857 mutiny, the British very deliberately recruited from people that they considered to be martial in nature. So Gurkhas, Sikhs, Bhatans, Punjabi Muslims, Garwalis. And they couple that with the Sikh desire to be in battle and that being a righteous act from a, a spiritual angle. So within then, Sikhism itself, to fight, to be in battle, to have a cause to fight for, these are all promoted? Indeed. As the Sikh faith developed from the 16th century, it was very much a faith that asked people both to promote the spiritual advancement of themselves, but also to fight for their rights, be that moral rights or spiritual rights. Now that found sort of its ultimate expression in 1699, when the 10th Sikh Guru constituted a brotherhood called the Khalsa. And the Khalsa, which was made up of men who put themselves forward really as soldiers, and the whole uniform of the Khalsa, which is very 
evident and well-known today of a bearded, turbaned man with long hair wearing a sword as well is you know, the ultimate manifestation of that uh, warrior spirit. So I think there is that very strong tradition within Sikh culture to enter the armed forces. But coupled with that, being part of the Indian Army actually gave men a great deal of status as well. And we can't overlook that. That's a very important part of what was going on. This elevated common village men from being people that pushed plows to suddenly becoming the nobility of the Punjab. There are stories that Sikhs even took their holy book, the Guru Granth Sahib, into battle. What did you find out about that? They certainly took the Guru Granth Sahib with them as they went on their campaigns. The Indian army very strongly encouraged, in fact more than encouraged, mandated that the uh, practice of Sikh traditions was central to the life of a Sikh soldier in the Indian army. So attached to the battalions would be a Sikh Granthi, a reader, someone who would look after the Guru Granth Sahib and would perform the daily duties that surrounded that. So we certainly know that they marched with the Guru Granth Sahib, often the Guru Granth Sahib at the very head of a column. There's also some evidence that there were miniaturised versions of the Guru Granth Sahib that were issued to Sikh men and some anecdotal evidence that they were actually tied into the turbans of some of the Sikh soldiers. So almost wearing your religion on your sleeve, as it were, taking Almost literally. <laughs> Remarkable. Also with me in the Things Unseen studio today are Sadeep Grawal, an artist from Hampshire, and Anjit Singh from Coventry, a dealer in antique Indian arms. Two young Sikhs with family connections to the Sikh soldiers who fought in World War I. Ranjit, you have a medal there with you. Tell me a little bit about who it belongs to and how that connects to you. Uh, it belongs to a man by the name of Babu Singh, and it's connected to me through my mother. It was obtained by her uh, about 16 years ago because of my interest in martial history, especially the history of my forefathers. She went to India and requested from her family something that she could bring home to me so that I, I may feel connected to my martial roots, and she brought back the medal. In terms of sort of understanding who he was and why he did this, not just as your great-grandfather or great-granduncle, do you know any more about kind of his predicament and situation? No. I think the um, story of Babu Singh and the fact that I only have his victory medal is an indication of basically the situation that the family found themselves in and having to sell off his belongings. I mean, my family have told me that... Um, his death message was literally a crate of his belongings being dropped off to the village. And that contained all of his medals, as well as the victory medal. I understand he would have been entitled to at least two others, belts and uniforms. And the only thing which goes to say that they were probably in hard times that survived was this one victory medal. You've recently been to the memorial in France, I understand, to commemorate him. What was that like for you to go there and pay your respects? To begin with, it was quite a focused mission. I mean, part of the research, I was going to go and have a look. But when I got there, it was a fairly powerful experience. It took me by surprise a little bit to see his name up there uh, amongst all the other soldiers. From a perspective as a Sikh, is he a hero to you? And what, what does he mean to yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. And I see myself as a British Sikh. And the fact my great-grandfather 
died fighting in the British Indian Army, again, it gives me a bit of reassurance of my identity. And he died for country I now live in. So, yeah, I'm immensely proud of him. Yeah. Sadeep, your family has a picture yes. of your great-great-grandfather hanging in your living room. You've brought it in to show us. Talk us through what the image looks like and what's on it, but then also your connection to it. Well, this image has been in our family for a while now. It was originally black and white and my grandfather owned it and then we had it all sort of coloured up and framed, etc. And you can see sort of the various decorations across his military garb in the front there. Got six different medals and um, he's wearing sort of turban and, and with a very quite aggressive look on his face. He's which... definitely stern-looking, <laughs> that's for sure. Yes. He means business. Yeah. And that's been in your household and sitting in pride of place for quite a long time. Yes. Were you ever curious about who he was and did you ask? Yeah, well, there's a lot of mystery surrounding this photograph because originally we didn't really know that much other than the name that's on there and, and uh, the title, which is uh, Captain Sardar Bahadur Saran Singh Garawal. And um, beneath that is written that he was apparently governor of Burma, which we're all actually quite cynical about. We weren't really sure how true that was. So, I mean, that's something that we kind of debate within our family. But we know that he fought in World War One, And um, there's another kind of story about apparently him being shot in the neck and surviving. It seems to me that kind of these stories, these great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers who did fight, they're revered to such a high level that they've almost kind of transcended into the realm of mythology and kind of becoming absolute heroes. Is that what he is to you? Is he a bit of like a mythological hero? What, what does he mean to you personally? He means a lot to, I think, our whole family. I, I remember my grandfather always kind of referring to the photo and, and saying, you know, everything that I do, I do for him. Myself being a kind of second slash third generation immigrant to England, my parents having worked quite hard all their lives and, and having quite sort of working class jobs. You know, my mother works in a supermarket. My father is a minicab driver. But then when we look at our history, actually, there's a real contrast there in terms of my great great grandfather having fought so hard and having won so much. And it is inspiring, I think, and myself having gone on to be an artist and have also worked in government, it's a backbone to a lot of that. For someone not steeped in Sikh history, Amandeep, it looks a little surprising that Sikhs like Ranjit's and Sadeep's relatives would have wanted to fight in a war that was, to an extent, not theirs to fight, or not in their interest or the interest of the Indian people. In fact, some might say that it was the Indian population bowing down to their colonial masters. In both cases that we've just heard, these soldiers would have signed up before the First World War. They would have been some of the 30 or 40,000 Sikhs that had joined the Indian army, not necessarily the Great War. And in joining the army, there's an implicit responsibility to fight the wars that the army The British conduct. Indian army. Exactly. And so going to war in this case the war in Europe, was just execution of, of that responsibility of being a soldier. But if we were to unpick that very decision to enlist, to become part of the British Indian Army, how did they reconcile that? Because essentially there is an imposed rule, yet they were in essence putting their life on the line. I think within the Sikh community, the, the Indian Army offered quite a number of quite positive advantages. So. 
It offered employment. It offered status. For some men, it cleaved them from the soil and from family politics. It gave them a chance to leave Punjab and see the world. So actually joining the army was something that was entered into with great enthusiasm. And you've got to remember that every man was indeed a volunteer. There was no conscription. Also with us here is Sukraj Singh, a final year math student from Coventry. Sukraj, you actually do feel uncomfortable about that aspect of the Sikh participation in the Great War, don't you? Can you tell me a little bit about why? It's solely based on the maxims of the Sikh faith and the rules of Sikh warfare. Specifically with World War One, if we consider the rules of Sikh warfare, war should be the last resort and all other means of resolving conflict should be considered. That wasn't done so with World War One. Also, there is a rule that you cannot hire mercenaries. Now, if we see what the UK did, it seems like as all the Sikh soldiers that were on the front line were those mercenaries fighting for a foreign country. And also, I believe that in the long run, British also used a lot of propaganda, considering how we were defined as a warrior race. And I don't essentially agree with that term because you're defining who we are from our ancestors, etc. So, Crutch, there are inherent... I would understand, please feel free to expand on this, connections between the reasons the Great War was fought by the Allies and Sikh beliefs and understandings. They are things like freedom, justice, liberty. Could these not have been reasons enough for the Sikh population in Punjab to fight in the war and to do so as proud soldiers? Yes, I agree. But it follows from imperialism that the allegiance was almost obligatory. It wasn't as it was pledged, you could say. Indeed, that's quite a strong opinion. Mercenaries. I don't think that there were many Sikh soldiers that were trying to express their Sikh faith by going to Germany or Mesopotamia to fight the Turks or the Germans. But Um, they took the holy book with them onto the battlegrounds. Indeed, and I think some of the points that Sokharaj makes are actually very fine points because I think what the... British were doing was actually using Sikh traditions both from recruitment and in terms of maintaining the men and the motivation of the men during the war years. And there is no doubt after the war that uh, Sikhs felt very strongly, and in fact there's a lot of evidence of the Sikh role being taken for granted and there being a degree of treachery by the British against the Sikhs. Sadeep, you're nodding your head there. What are your thoughts about this? I mean, if your great-great-granddad did fight in in the World War and Sukhraj has expressed those opinions, do you think that it could be perceived to be a war of mercenaries? It was obviously problematic in, in that sense. The imperialist backdrop against which the war happened, there's an element of suspicion and kind of concern about that. But I think the kind of honour and the heroism that's associated with fighting in a war for just and noble principles that in itself can still be valuable I think and and you can still think about all those things. Even if the foundations that they're based upon are slightly rocky? I don't think the common soldier was making a deeply political statement in joining Mm. the Indian army and fighting for the British. I don't think they were. They They were dying in their thousands. They absolutely were. So how would it not be a political statement or a religious one at that? On the religious angle, I think this is quite interesting because I think there is within the Sikh traditions, and I think we'd all agree with that, in the Sikh traditions there is, we are enjoined to practice our religion as a martial people as well as a spiritual people. And that finds that expression 
in the British Indian Army. And there's a morality that goes with it, and the morality is one that says, if you're signing up for this army, then you you execute the orders of that army as you would any other soldier. You're not making a moral decision on the grounds for war. I think that's what's going on. Now, behind that is a much bigger political story, and I think that's what Sukharaj is alluding to. And I still think there's you know many different uh, shades uh, around that that we can explore. I actually know more about World War II, as it were, and I believe that the Sikhs' participation in World War II quintessentially fulfills the maximums of our faith. It was defending the weak, it was protecting the innocent, it was fighting anti-Semitism and fascism and a dictator as, as such, whereas World War I ended almost a stalemate. So it wasn't really two sides about it. It was also a series of revenge attacks which Sikhs do not endorse. I'd just like to bring Ranjit here at this point. You spoke about your great-grandfather with great pride. Do you think that's maybe now a little misplaced or at least a little nostalgic? Not really, no. And I think colonialism and imperialism is hopefully long gone from the British psyche. Um, so, I mean, I hold on to kind of the pride for his sacrifice. Do you think it's problematic, though, the initial reasons to sign on? No, no, I think um, he would have been quite the hero in his village and looking dapper in his newly pressed uniform and shawling around the village. I'm sure he would have would have been the hero, so I'm, I'm quite comfortable. So, Kraj, you've just heard two people whose relatives, great-grandfathers, fought in the war. They speak about it with such pride, such reverence and such respect. All of the other issues aside, isn't that enough? Isn't that something that as a Sikh you should be proud of? I too feel pride. Actually, my grandfather was also stationed in Burma in World War II and my other grandfather was a victim of the Japanese occupancy in Singapore. But that pride itself, where does it come from? Is it the teachings of our faith? I believe this pride comes from the propaganda that the British enforced to class us as warriors. And we, too, endorse that. We do claim that we are warriors and that is our teachings, that we fight for justice, etc. But the pride element has come from intentions to benefit long-term goals of the British economy. What do the involvement of so many Sikhs, Lamandeep, in the war mean for their families left behind in the Punjab? How did they sort of handle and deal with it? Oh, this is an excellent question because we often in talking about the First World War, focus on combatants. And actually there's a parallel story for those that were left behind. And their story is also one of bravery because within Sikh families that were losing men to the war, and sometimes they were losing them forever, it changed the social order in the household. Often that caused a lot of friction as men came back. So there are records in the British Library which talk about what happened when men came back. And there's this fascinating story of a man that comes back from the war, goes back to his village to find that his wife has arranged the marriage of his children. Now, this was the male domain. This was one of the ways that men would almost illustrate their power, is to arrange the marriages of their children. So he spent the next six months trying to unpick the decisions that his wife had made. But I think it's one of those inflection points at which women's empowerment in the Punjab started to happen at a more material level. But also they faced great hardships, grain prices. In fact, prices for most commodities just went up and up and up during the war. Medicines were in short supply. A lot of the social support structures like village doctors, etc., were all called up largely to help in the war effort. And so when plague came at the latter end of the war when flu 
hit the north of India, the death toll was high and higher than it should have been. Now, I'm going to ask you a bit of a provocative question. I mean, this exhibition that you're planning, it's kind of a celebratory exhibition. You're kind of celebrating the memories involved with the Sikhs participating in World War One. Is there a danger, perhaps, of idealising or glorifying a war in which millions died? I take issue with the word celebration, for a start. We're trying to commemorate the role of Sikhs during the First World War. So in the exhibition, which is actually the start of a three-year programme, you will get a sense of the experience of Sikhs during the First World War, both combatants and non-combatants. You'll also get a sense of what happened after the war, and we'll touch on some of the political ramifications of the war. In fact, what we will do, is what I hope we will do, is correct some of the mishistories that there are. Sukharaj spoke about almost the noble principles of the Second World War and the the lack of morality in the First World War. And I would contend that the First World War was no less a just war than the Second World War. This was an invading force of Germany coming into Belgium. I think we've been coloured in our views about the First World War by everything from Blackadder to, oh, what a lovely war and everything in between. And I think one of the things we want to do over these three years is to correct that perception or to help correct that perception. There is, of course, much sadness in the stories we've heard because a large number of those Sikh soldiers who fought in Europe and elsewhere never came home. How many of them died, Amandeep? And can you tell us a little bit more about the sort of conditions that they would have faced? The numbers of war death are not documented by religion, but we think around eight to 9,000 Sikhs perished in the First World War. The vast majority of them died in Iraq. They died in a campaign to, which is actually a very modern story. It was the campaign to take the oil wells of Basra to protect the oil that was supplying the British Navy and then to move northwards up to Baghdad. So most of them died in desert warfare. Ranjit Singh's great-grandfather died in the Western Front and that was the other great source of loss of life in the early part of the war when all of the Allied forces completely miscalculated this hideous action that befell them. What about those that did survive the absolute horrors of the First World War and came back perhaps injured or maimed? What happened to them? You've got to remember about 80% of men came back, 100,000 or more men would have returned from the fronts. And two things happened to them. Many of them remained in the British Army and had long and illustrious careers. But the British also had to pare back the 1.5 million men that they had recruited into this enormous army that were no longer needed. So everyone was given the option to basically retire early and to draw some kind of pension. In fact, my own father, and I've been doing this for 20 years or more, but my own father told me just at Christmas that his uncle was a First World War veteran. And that he remembers as a teenager taking him to the local pension office every three months to draw his 15 rupees as a pension. So a lot of those men just reintegrated back into village life. One of the things that we're seeing, though, that a lot of the men that had experienced travel had been cleaved from the soil, which was really the source of income for them and their families for generations, found new professions. And many Sikhs in in urban areas in, in India trace the time that they moved from the villages to the big cities to that point at which their grandfathers, great-grandfathers returned from the First World War. Thank you to Amandeep Singh Madra, Ranjit Singh, Satib Grawal and Sukraj Singh. 
I'm Nelifa Hadayat and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme for people of faith and those who just feel there's more to life than the material world. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.